Welcome everyone and thank you for joining our Upside Avenue educational webinar series. This series is developed with your input. We've surveyed our investors and followers to find out what financial and investment topics everyone is interested in learning about. And then we look for subject matter experts all over the country who can speak on these topics. Our hopes is to provide you with the knowledge and confidence to help you discover your upside. So watch your email for next month's webinar information. And we'll also be sharing it on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and now Instagram. So today's topic is a particularly sensitive one. And I can't think of anyone better who can address the financial impacts of divorce. He recently released a book, um, his new book called Money Management Mindset a guide to help you prepare for the expected and unexpected. In 2019, he was named one of the top advisors nationwide by Financial Times. And this year, Forbes named him as a best in state wealth advisor in Texas. And when he's not helping his clients in his role as managing director of TCG Advisors, he's sharing his experiences with younger financial planners and spending time with his wife and daughters in Austin, Texas. So help me welcome Dennis Bilek. Dennis, welcome. Thank you for joining us. How are you doing? I'm doing good, doing good. Thank you for asking, by the way, and uh, appreciate the introduction. Yeah, we're looking forward. I mean, um, it is a sensitive topic, and um, I know that you've had, um, you know, experiences dealing with this with your clients. So, you know, I'll turn the time over to you. Well, I appreciate that. And, you know, you're right in this fact that this can be a sensitive topic, just, just like others right now that we're going through as far as like health issues, um, you know, different aspects of life. So, you know, real quick, just kind of starting off with, with the book, um, you know, what we talk about in the book, and I, I always find that this is a good kind of introduction to any topic that we discuss is, you know, if, if everybody had played the board game of life. I always think that's kind of the best introduction to financial planning or life planning that's out there. And if you remember the board game of life, you start off at a point and either you can go to college or you can you know, start work right away. But eventually everybody goes to work, you choose your career, um, you end up buying a house. And if you remember, you can overpay for the big mansion right away, or you can kind of take that home that's like split in half, very, very cheap, uh, that's like falling off of a cliff. Um, but there's different points in life where you get married, you can have kids, you got to buy insurance. And if you remember going along the game of life, there's different points in that game that sets you ahead where maybe it, you, know, you benefit from a, a certain stage in life or a certain step in the board game, or there's steps that set you back. And unfortunately, today we're talking about a uh, crucial point in life that will cause people to have to take a step back. Uh, you know, typically when, when we're going through these kinds of topics like divorce, it's hard to really see a, a winning side in a divorce when it comes to finances. And so what we want to do is say, okay, if you are going through a divorce or have gone through it, but you don't understand what to do financially or how it can impact you, is what are some key things you can do to help get a grasp of where you're at, where you need to go, and how do you manage that? manage your life accordingly to this, uh, to this point. So first thing we want to talk about is there are two different ways, you know, you can go, right? Which is 
and, and I mean this in, in a very laid back way, but you know, you can go kind of an emotional route or you can go a logical route with it. There's no way around it. Any, any topic like this can be very emotional and, you know, depending on what side you are of the divorce, uh, you know, it can lead you in, in a couple of different paths. But what we really try to do when we sit down with people going through this is we have to consider a logical approach to it. Doesn't matter who's right or wrong in this, doesn't matter if it's happening, it's happening. How can we take a step back and look at it from an outside point of view and say, how can we make the best thing for you happen throughout the divorce? And a lot of times emotions control the divorce process, which can be the most costly part of it if you let it happen, which is you could allow a divorce to carry on. You could go after for more than what you know could be agreed upon very easily, which then increases your legal fees, increases your court costs. A lot of different things can add up to this point, which is why when you go through a divorce, most individuals only retain an average of 40 to 45% of their assets because of the fees, right? So, so the initial mindset is we go in, it's 50-50, and you look at what happens, and in most cases, if it's not amicable uh, between the two spouses right away, when, when they start getting to the asset splitting point, because of fees, because of costs, and we'll talk about a, a risk that people, a lot of people have, which is lack of liquidity, is you end up giving five to 10% of your piece due to this process. And that's really what we try to help clients avoid is, is how can we get 50, maybe a little bit more, and we'll talk about ways you can do that, but how do we make sure we're not giving up a piece of our pie um, because of unnecessary things that maybe we could have avoided. And when you use this number, and we're talking about 10 to potentially 20% of what you would keep after divorce, when you look that you're giving up 10 or 20% to legal costs to other, other fees, that unfortunately is not a great number, right? We don't wanna end up with 80 or 90% of what we were expecting. We want to try to end up with 100%. That, that's the, the first goal there. But when we get to a divorce, what is the hardest thing that people do? Well, normally in a relationship, one person does the finances. I mean, very rarely do we ever find a relationship where people do finances together. And like I, I use, you know, my relationship with my wife, for example, you know, anytime I talk about the budget or budgeting, you know, she calls that the B word at home. She doesn't call it. It's not, it's not a friendly conversation to talk about, Hey, here's how much income we have. Here's how much can go out you know, we need to make sure we budget this, we limit this, it, that's a hard discussion to have. And normally one person is in charge of it. Either way, whether you're in charge of it or you're not, this is the first thing you have to do because income and expenses will change, irregardless. Whether you're the person who is the supporting spouse, if for example, one of you works, your expenses are gonna increase. It is what it is. And if you are the other spouse, your income may decrease. Now, if you both work, it can depend on who makes more money and what that situation looks like. But if, if you're having to pay solely for your bills, a place to live, those kind of aspects, you know, unfortunately that will change. And as we go through these different uh, steps and look at them, a T-chart, and we'll show you an example here on the balance sheet piece, but a T-chart will be your best friend for the budgeting piece, which is you need to know what your income is. You need to write down every single expense. 
And a lot of times where we see people make mistakes is they look at this as a one-time practice. And it's not our pass or fail, but it is, a, it is an ongoing practice. And you need to run your budget like you would a business. You need to run your balance sheet like you would a business. And you need to run your investments um, and the other aspects of your plan like a business. And what I mean by that is you need to check it monthly. You need to see, did I spend more than what was coming in? And I know we talk about this in other aspects, but it's really important coming out of a divorce because this is a really big, important point in your life where you have to start over on the financial aspect, your financial plan, even if you had one before, it has completely changed. And just like any business, if it's split into two, you've got to figure out where your business is and where it's gonna go. Um, so the first thing we encourage people to do is take a budget down, see what you think it'll be, but then you need to benchmark it by saying, how did we do this month? Did we overspend? Did we not spend enough? You know, did, can we save a little bit more? Um, what are the, the things that are working well? What's not working well? And really have that conversation with yourself month to month. Um, once again, it's an evolving plan. Things will continue to change. One-time expenses will change. It's not gonna be um, easy, but it is something that you have to do. The second step, is you have to make sure you have a balance sheet going in. And the reason this is important is there is different assets that people will want in a divorce, as well as different debt that's gonna impact a divorce as well. And whether it's your balance sheet going into a divorce or your balance sheet coming out of a divorce, you need to know what your assets are versus your debt. And if your debt outweighs your assets, once again, then we need to take a step back to budget and make sure that we have cash flow positive so we can start paying down that debt to make sure that we're increasing the asset side of the balance sheet. The other important thing and a question we get all the time is what is the biggest mistake you see people financially going into a uh, divorce? And that is what we call liquidity. A lot of people, and you know, I live in Texas, in Texas people view a home as an asset and maybe it can be that depending on how, how you invest in homes. But the problem is, is typically in a divorce, people don't want to live together afterwards. And a lot of times, if you are going to split 50-50 or 40-60 or however it works, 40-40, because you have too much in fees, a lot of marriages have most of their net worth tied into that home. Well, if you can't split it, you have to either figure out hey, you take all the liquidity, I'll keep the home, or you have to sell the home. Which once again, in Texas, you're usually looking at 6% sales commission, you're paying you know, a real estate agent to come in and, and run that side for you. So liquidity is the biggest thing. And if you can plan and make sure your liquidity is strong before you split, and you have a plan for that, that will be the biggest key to making sure you can have an easier split in the, in the divorce where somebody can fully keep that home. Uh, versus having to sell at home. And we see about one in three uh, divorces where the home gets sold. So it's, it's actually more common than you think. And lately we've seen it about more, a little bit more than 50% going through this process. There are other illiquid assets out there. For example, if one of you is a business owner, that's also something that's very important. And when you look at a business owner, um, from the standpoint, a lot of times what they want to do is maintain their business control and not have to give that up, which once again becomes liquidity. If they don't, if they can't do that and there's not enough liquidity, 
Now they're going to have to split that business up somehow, or maybe have to fire sell some of these investments like a house, car, uh, you know, retirement accounts, um, or, or taxable investments. Maybe I'll have, you know, rental home, uh, or business interests. It can be, uh, pretty daunting there. And so that's where if you can map out a balance sheet and plan ahead, um, and give yourself some time to get there, you can also view what you want in that relationship. And the best divorces we see are ones where they have actually planned this out before they get anybody else involved. And I know that's hard to do. Sometimes you need a mediator, but if you can have somebody come in or, or if you and your spouse can, can sit there and map out the balance sheet and map out, here's, here's where we can agree upon and you have the liquidity and you can build that up and start planning ahead. It makes it very easy to now have a 50, 50 split. Once you bring, you know, the, the legal aspect into it and keep it very, very short. Um, and, and that's really what we want to get to now. Once again, Emotion takes control in a lot of these cases, but that's where eventually, you know, we encourage people do the balance sheet yourself on your side, approach the spouse about it, and hopefully you guys can come to a logical conclusion, not an emotional one, which allows you to leave with more of your pie rather than less. Now, a lot of the questions we get on the budgeting is what's the easiest way to start a budget or start a balance sheet for you to look at? And when I was in accounting in college, you know, my professor always said your best friend in accounting will be a T, which is a T chart. And where you look at this is if you can go on a piece of paper or Microsoft Excel, for example, and we see, we see people build out balance sheets or budgets all the time in Excel. I'm one of those people, but you simply just draw a line and then you draw a line across. And what you can do is you can do your assets on one side, label them out, put the value, and then you can also do your debt on the other side. And once again, you put it kind of in, in negative numbers here, but it's good for you to do this. No matter where you are in your life, what stage you're at, this is something you should always do at least once a year on a balance sheet. Now, I encourage people to try to do this once a month, make sure nothing's changed. It's always good to update your mortgage has gone down. You know, if you have credit card debt, you're paying it down. Um, you know, your equity in your house has gone up, your investments maybe have gone up or maybe have gone down but continuing to update this allows you to see where you're at and then allows you to help plan for where you're going. You can also use this T-chart for budgeting. And that's where, once again, you can sit there and draw the T-chart, you can put your income on this side, what's coming into you, and then also you can put your expenses on this side, of what's going out. And this is where, you know, once again, you have to start here, you have to get to this point because this is where you can see what life's going to be like uh, in a divorce, you know, after. And a lot of times we see people go through a divorce and they don't plan financially till afterwards. And, you know, we see this a lot on the non-working spouse. They take the house and they'll give up the li liquidity. They'll give up the investments. They'll give up the retirement account because they don't want to move. They don't want to, they don't want to take the house or I mean, they don't want to give up the school district, whatever it may be. However, the problem is now they can't afford the house. And if they can, it's, it's very little. And so we end up seeing a lot of people a couple years down the road having to sell a house that, that were in that two out of three that could keep it. A couple years down the road, they end up having to sell it, which is where I get to that 50 to 55% number um, that I mentioned before. And this is also where you need to look at 
with the assets versus the debt, and then also my income versus expenses, what makes the most sense for me? Because if I can get the investments and start generating income off the investments, that helps supplement wherever we're going to be. And you may have to downsize the house, you may have to, to look at moving, but in a lot of cases, it can make a lot of sense to um, try and give up the house for the liquidity if the other spouse is willing to give it. Um, so that's always something to consider. But if you were the non-working spouse, in a lot of cases, we, we see that people choose the house, they give up all the investments, and then they end up driving themselves more in debt um, versus the other way around. And that's what we want to help you avoid. The next step is you have to create a whole new financial plan. Now, a lot of people get a financial plan. And when they have a financial plan, it's you know, uh, maybe a, a 30 minute process, they set a plan for the next 30 years, right? And it's got maybe a few assumptions, like you have a rate of return, you save this much, you put this much in retirement. Well, it all has changed now. And you need to revisit that plan. And once again, that plan is going to change even after this, right? You may find another spouse, you may find somebody else who's a partner for you. You may go, you know, if you're a non-working spouse, you may go back to work. Um, you, you know, may strike a deal where the spouse is, is now paying you alimony or some type of income, but tax laws have changed, right? And, and, you know, using the example of alimony, you know, there was a recent tax law change where the payee used to have a tax write-off and the person receiving used to have to uh, file that as income. Well, now that's changed. The payee no longer gets the write-off and the, the receiver no longer has to file income um, for it, which is a benefit to the receiver, not so much for the, pay, the payee in that regard, but those things impact your financial plan and why, once again, you have to treat it like a business and you have to help live your plan. So not only do we encourage you to go through a planning process, even if you do it yourself, but you can't just do it, put it on the shelf and visit 30 years later and say, man, I hope this worked. You have to look at it month to month or at least once a year. And that's where we challenge everybody is at least look at it at the end of the year going into December. How did you do did the plan work? Is it underperforming? Is it outperforming? And maybe you can change some of the goals you have in life, um, but you need to revisit it at least once a year and make sure that you're living the plan to your desires and what you want. And if things change like tax laws, um, maybe you know uh, real estate laws have changed based on divorces, community property laws may have changed, whatever it may be, you have to make sure you live your plan um, going forward from this point on. Uh, and put everything else behind you. And that's the important thing of saying, hey, going through a divorce, it sucks, but at the end of the day, you're, you're living a new life and everything about you, you need to replan and revisit. Here are some of the examples of marital assets that we see, um, which are house, cars, boats, retirement plans, cash value, life insurance policies, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, stock options, bank accounts, one of the things that is important is when you look at all of these assets you have is now you also need to make sure your beneficiaries are updated. Um, you know, if you were emotional and you, you do not want your uh, ex-spouse getting the assets, this is your time to change it and put your kids first. Or, uh, you know, if you don't have kids, you know, put somebody else who you think, you know, deserves, uh, you know, the assets that you were leaving with. Um, but this is where you need to make sure you revisit your whole estate plan. 
So the, the estate planning for an IRA, you can just do beneficiaries, you can change those, uh, but you may need to do redo a will, redo a trust document, um, but you do need to update uh, uh, your estate plan on these different items. In addition, you also need to look at when you are visiting a divorce is which assets, as we talked about, are important to you and important to your spouse. We use artwork as an example. So in Austin, there's a lot of uh, people who collect artwork, who collect uh, wine, for example. And usually it's one spouse who has this love more than the other. And it is a good way to sit there and have that, that balance sheet that maybe you went through with this spouse and they say, you know what, this piece of art is worth this much because I know it, I'm a collector, I believe it. And you may say, great, you keep that piece of artwork for that much and I'll take the equivalent in your IRA account. And now you once again have the liquidity while they have a, uh, what we call a real asset, which a lot of times if you have to fire sale something like art or wine, you fire sell it at a pretty good discount. And we're talking about 20, 25%, which if you don't have the liquidity can put you in in a real bind if you need it. Um, Other things that we see people put value on, and it may sound odd, are things like frequent miles, um, either for hotels, uh, for um, airlines. You know, there's a couple uh, jokes about those in movies um, that go through divorces. Uh, But there are things like that where uh, you can look at that as a valuation. especially accumulated vacation payouts, um, different things like that that you may not consider or put in there as something that's valuable, but it may be more valuable to to the other spouse than you. And once again, you can use something like that that seems uh, like it wouldn't matter. But if your spouse travels and that's something that they value themselves on, it's a good way to, to put some valuation on that. So once again, you can try to get more liquidity on your side or maybe you're the person who wants it and says, hey, that's what I'd like. Um, I'd like to, you know, I, I worked hard to get those miles. I want to enjoy the free trips. And, you know, you put a valuation on it and you want to keep it. And you want to give up uh, some of the retirement plan that maybe, you know, you won't touch for 10, 20 years because of the age gap. But those are things that are important to you uh, and things to always consider. There can be other assets that aren't listed here. Um, but this is a good kind of framework to really say, hey, anything that you guys value is important, put it down. Um, You know, one we didn't list is pets. Uh, Typically, pets go one way or the other. There is, you know, uh, some type of value there, whether it's emotional um, or, you know, some type of valuation you can agree upon as far as that being worth something. Um, But that is another thing that we don't have listed here that we see a lot come up uh, in divorce, especially if they, Uh, raise the pet together. So please remember, write every single thing down that you can, because if you can do that, the best thing you can do is work with your spouse. There there will not be a better way through a divorce um, than being able to come to the table, agree in terms, make it easy and make it quick, because the longer you, you go, the more detrimental it will be to your remaining aspect. Continue to budget, estate planning as we talked about. Um, One thing that's important, and we see this a lot for people who go through a divorce, is it is not uncommon to um, remarry 
or find another partner and maybe also potentially go through another divorce. But you have to look at now making sure that anything you gain in assets is yours and yours alone, even if you re-enter into another relationship. So in Texas, I ask this question all the time, which is, you know, how long can somebody tell me uh, before you're common law married? And most common answer I get is like seven years, five years. Well, actually in Texas, there is no definition of time for common law marriage. It can just be simply that you cohabitated, which can be defined in any length of time really for cohabitation, and two, that you put yourself out as married. And what I mean by that is you could sit there and go to a hotel or go to a wedding and somebody may put you down, you know, you and your guest as Mr. or Mrs. Bielik in that example. Well, that person who is on the other side, if let's say you ended up in a bad breakup, for example, or something else, um, if you have not protected your assets, they can go, like in the state of Texas, for example, come after you from common law marriage. And uh, unfortunately, there's no thing as common law divorce. So this is another important aspect where, especially if you have children, you want to make sure that if you are going to have any type of relationship going forward, that anything you get out of the divorce, you revisit your estate planning and you make sure that your assets are protected uh, just for you and just for your kids and you're not giving it up accidentally to a co-spouse. Now there are different states too where uh, you know Louisiana and Texas are very uh, good examples of this where real estate becomes even more intriguing and I use the example because it's a new law in Texas where you may have once again the second person may be the love of your life and you guys go in and you buy a home 50-50 and whether you're married or common law married doesn't matter in this regard. Well if something happens to you and you have not done your estate planning or done any estate planning in this regard, what happens, let's say that second spouse ends up passing away. Well, 50% of the home actually will default go to their kids, just like your 50% would. It will actually go to your kids, not to your actual spouse. And what happens is sometimes those relationships are really good with the, the second marriages uh, kids and sometimes it's not but you need to make sure you plan for that in case because we see a lot of situations where people have gone through a divorce, um, have either remarried or uh, joined into another relationship and real estate becomes very, very tricky, especially when you're living in it. And you don't want your kids or the other spouse's kids to force the house to be sold when you know the person or you uh, plan on living on it, in it for the rest of your life. So there are unique things like that. Once again, we encourage you uh, to not feel like you have to do this on your own, but obviously go get help in this regard. Um, but this is an important thing where now with the divorce, estate planning becomes more complicated. It does not become easier. And so revisiting that, making sure you kind of plan out different parts of your life, whether you plan to re-enter a marriage uh, or re-enter a relationship um, as your kids grow or you plan to have kids, um, maybe from a, you know, having a first kid from a different marriage and a second kid from another marriage, um, those things complicated. And so you've got to make sure you're protecting your interest as well as uh, what you want the assets to do uh, after you pass. Investments, we really want to visit the balance sheet on the investment piece to say, okay, where are we at with the investments? What am I getting from the investments? And once again, Am I the one who managed these investments before? Because if not, now I need to learn because nobody's gonna be doing it for me. Yes, you can go hire an advisor, but you still wanna make sure you know that that advisor is a good advisor 
they're a fiduciary, they'll do, you know, they're legally obligated to do what's in my best interest. And they're actually a good person and will do what's in my best interest, right? You want to make sure that you know what to look for, um, that you're finding the right person. And this is where a lot of people struggle because now uh, a lot of spouses don't manage the investments or maybe the advisor had a better relationship with one of these spouses than the other spouse. And if you're not the one who had that relationship with the advisor and you don't know how they were selected, you may not want to keep your investments there with that same advisor. If your husband or wife is continuing to work with them, you may, you know, get nervous or, or want complete uh, separation. So what we do is we encourage people uh, to look, and I'm actually going to skip a page here real quick. This is a very good neutral book. Um, you know, obviously, I, I think, uh, you know, there's several good books out there, including the one that I wrote, but this is a great introduction to uh, looking for an advisor. It's 90 pages. You can read it very easily in a weekend. It talks about a fiduciary, talks about uh, simple ways to invest, not get complicated, not, not get into a bad product. Um, this is something I highly encourage people to look at. Um, it's called The Investment Answer. It's written by Daniel Goldie. Um, it's a great book. I actually give this book to new employees or new advisors, you know, that we bring out of financial planning programs and colleges um, or who we're promoting within. And every time I give somebody this book and they finish reading it, they always come in much more knowledgeable and much more comfortable uh, in our section uh, or, or in our field. And I encourage clients to read this all the time because there, there's not a better introduction book. And you, there's plenty of books you can get after, you know, once you've kind of read this book that could help uh, increase your knowledge base about what to look for, or, you know, if you want to do investments yourself or, or hire an advisor, um, what's important. And you really need to map that out for yourself too. So um, one thing that we get a lot of questions on and a lot of our assets uh, aren't just in a retirement plan, but are in like a 401k, a 437, maybe a 403b if our spouse is a teacher or uh, works at a hospital, some type of nonprofit, is there are things called quadros. And this is the process for splitting up a qualified retirement plan. Uh, not like an IRA, but an actual employer work plan. And we see these range anywhere from $150 to more than $1,000 to process. Um, and this is something that I think a lot of people forget, um, one, how expensive it can be, and two, what the process is. And it, it, it does take quite some time. You've got to prove the divorce decree is there, that, uh, you know, a judge has ruled or court has ruled how much you uh, will receive from this plan. Um, but this is something that is very important to know what this process is and what it's called, because we see a lot of people struggle with this. Um, and there has been times we've seen divorces that it took, you know, a spouse uh, or an ex-spouse four or five years to, to get their funds because they didn't know what to do. They put it off. And once again, if you're putting it off, they may not know that that person has gone through a divorce and that person could be, you know, investing the money very risky, could be doing stuff with the, the money, for example, that maybe you don't agree upon. This is something you need to know that you, you need to plan out for. Um, and you need to be able to either have the spouse notify or you be able to notify the company to make sure that they, uh, you know, position the money you're supposed to receive aside. Um, so that way it's set aside for you. You're not waiting too long to make sure that, you know, one, two, four, five years down the road, 
whatever's left is what you're getting, right? So that this is something that's important. Uh, you know, if you have questions on it, there's plenty of uh, articles you can Google about it. But I, I just want to make sure people knew exactly what a quadra was because a lot of times the outside the home, this is your second largest asset. Um, and it's very important to make sure you know how these work. So a lot of times when we look to maintain the standard of living coming out of a divorce, we need about 30% increase in income. And this is because two things have happened, right? The, the overall income is potentially going down and your expenses are going up because now you're not sharing a lot of your expenses with your spouse. Um, so for example, if there was one income coming in, several of the expenses have now doubled. Or um, you know, if there was two people and you were alternating to take care of the kids uh, when you're both together and now uh, maybe something has happened going through the divorce and now you gotta pay for, for childcare or additional support, several different things can cause the expenses to go up. But you have to know that a lot of times we see people having to go back to work if they're not fortunate enough to uh, have you know, done this later in life where assets are a lot higher, that you will need to find a way to make sure the income is increasing or you're managing expenses appropriately. So a question we get a lot is, well, statistically, or, or what do you see that um, affects women maybe differently than men, or, or how do you see kind of the different roles there? And I hate putting the gender by it, but a lot of times what happens is, uh, you know, the mother typically gets the children more often than the husband. It's just statistically what happens. Um, and there's still, you know, more uh, husbands making, you know, 80% of the income or more for a household than not. Now we're seeing that obviously change and evolve. Um, but those are questions we get a lot. So typically I, I like to view this as more of who's, who's the main working spouse or main income receiver. But there are some things that are important, which is, you know, you need to know, uh, you know, if you're a non-working person or a working person is how much money do you contribute to the family income before the divorce? And what is your ability and willingness of the former husband to make child support or alimony payments? Because, you know, if you are the person who makes the majority of the money and you end up with the children, you may not be getting as much as you think. And that is something that's important to know. And, and a lot of times, uh, we see this kind of negatively, negatively affect women more than it would actually benefit them in this regard if, if that's what happens. Uh, in addition, we see one in five women fall into poverty. Um, one in four women lose their health insurance for a period because they're not working. Um, you know, if you're able to go on COBRA, typically it's only 18 months that you're on that before you've got to find some other type of program. Uh, if the ex-spouse can't keep it on uh, you and the kids on their health insurance. We see one in three women with children that owned a home lose their homes once again. And this is initially, we're not talking about over a couple years. Um, now, we also see three in four divorced mothers with child support orders don't receive their full payments. Now, uh, there's a lot of different statistics behind this. I don't wanna to touch too much on this one, but it, it is something that is important to consider too, is even when we balance out that budget, and we sit there and say, hey, this is what we expect in income um, versus our expenses. This is why I encourage people to make sure that you are monitoring month to month to make sure that you are actually receiving what you're receiving and your expenses are actually your expenses. Because a lot of times there may be fluctuation, especially in a time like we're going through now, where we've had the highest unemployment we've had, 
Um, a lot of people were furloughed or have taken a, a, a cut in their income, and what you expected coming into this year may not be what you're getting now. And so you need to make sure that uh, you, know, you understand that this can fluctuate and why you have to be able to visit it month to month. And then we also see that there's a lot of public assistance programs to help supplement financial needs, um, and a lot of times people need to take advantage of it. And if you are a single mom, um, there are you know, uh, different uh, benefits out there that you may qualify for, that you may not know that you qualify for, um, to help supplement income or uh, you know, like food stamps or um, some type of welfare assistance that may actually, you may qualify for that you wouldn't have thought, as well as uh, income tax credits as well, or having a lower income now. Um, how does it compare for men? So we typically see a 10 to 40% drop in their standard of living. Um, we usually see the ones who make up less than 80% of a family's income before divorce suffer the most. Um, there is uh, some data showing that men who make up more than 80% may improve their financial situation, especially if there's no kids involved. Um, that's kind of an important point on that statistics. Uh, now, that's why I have under there that fathers have additional expenses, so that's not necessarily true, actually, and we, we tend to see the opposite when there's kids involved, um, but this comes to the point of why you need to make sure you know your balance sheet and why you need to make sure you know what the income is, because if you are the woman in this relationship and, and the men makes it more than 80%, um, you know, there's a big gap to fill that you're going to have to fill in the increase in income, and from the gentleman's side, you know, once again, you have kids or other aspects to it, and you're not making, you know, 80% of the money, then you also have to uh, plan ahead because you uh, are a pretty big risk of uh, suffering, you know, uh, negatively from a divorce. Um, and then we typically see the earnings, you know, kind of garnished by the state, because once again, most of the time, uh, men do not end up with the children, do not end up with the family. So, uh, you know, uh, as far as being governed by the state. So there are important things here. Um, we get questions on this all the time. There are obviously other things that kind of are differentiate between the two. But um, if you have anything else uh, that you have questions on, you know, once again, we're here to help uh, and you know, provide any advice we can. Perfect. Thank you, Dennis. Um, go ahead, everyone. And if you have additional questions for Dennis, we'll spend a few minutes um, addressing them. Um, while you're typing it in the Q uh, Q&A um, box of uh, your, the uh, Zoom, Zoom features here, um, I have a question for you. What is, um, what is something that you've seen people commonly do as they're going through sorting out their finances during a divorce? Yeah, so typically what we see is once and again, when people go through finances a lot or, or go through like the balance sheet, we see a lot of emotional attachment, usually to one or two of the assets from, from typically one side. And once again, it may not be the most logical asset attached um, that you should be going after in the divorce or trying to negotiate. Um, but we typically see a very strong emotional attachment, like I said, to a house, maybe to an antique, to an heirloom, which you know obviously is important as it's passed down. Um, but it may not be the thing that you should be valuing as high as it is. Um, so we tend to see people think with the finances emotionally, not take a step back and, and try to, once again, think logically about uh, the split in that regard. Um, but the, the other thing that we see is a lot of times when people are going and actually visiting their finances, they're leaving things out. 
Um, you know, we, we showed that list of things that, once again, you probably don't think about um, having some type of value. And we tend to see that people leave those out and don't bring those to the table when it could really benefit them putting a value on something, once again, like a pet, like, like frequent flyer miles, hotel miles, um, maybe credit card miles, uh, things like that that really uh, could benefit you if it's something you're not really passionate about keeping. Um, so that, that would be the other thing. Yeah, I was, I was surprised to see uh, frequent flyer miles and, and uh, yeah, to see that on there. It was definitely something I didn't think about. <laughs> All right, does anyone else have any questions for Dennis? second here. Well, Dennis, do you have any um, last thoughts before we end th this session today? Yeah, what I would encourage people, if there's something, once again, either you're helping people through, um, uh, actually, it looks like we have a question here. Have you ever thought to bring a loan officer on your team to make things less stressful on divorce? <laughs> um, you know, they're, uh, so that's actually more common than um, one thinks. Um, a lot of times people do need some type of uh, lending um, or some type of liquidity, once again, to get through these uh, different situations. So, you know, it's, uh, you know, pretty common to actually see, especially in Texas where people put a lot of their net worth in a home or in a business, to actually need some type of lending solution to help them go through this process. And I think we do have some additional questions here. So it looks like there, uh, so the next question was there was a, if there was a prenuptial in place with a home being one of the spouse's name, the other spouse paid real estate taxes and other expenses on the property, are they reimbursable? So it depends. But what I would tell you is if you are not on the deed, but you were contributing, you know, uh, what we consider building a cost basis in a property, you need to save the receipts. So anything you do, even if you're a homeowner yourself, right, you should always be saving, especially if it's a rental property or something, you should always be saving receipts to show that once again, it's a potentially a co-owned property, especially community property state, that maybe you're not on the deed, but you actually have some claim to it. Um, so you actually, if you just go after real estate taxes, or other expenses on the property as reimbursable, you may actually not see that you may have a claim to uh, the asset, even if there is a prenup on it. Um, because once again, if you're coexisting in it and you're contributing to it, um, some states have unique rules on that. But uh, it really depends on uh, the agreement in it. But a lot of times we see uh, if it is reimbursable, uh, the spouse comes out with the receipts, they know exactly what they contributed to, and once again, they put a value on that. And so if you have put in 20,000 to the house, um, we have seen people be able to go out and claim that as, hey, this is a $20,000 value that I should receive um, as part of you know, negotiating the split. Great questions. Anything else from anyone else? Hey, well, any, any final thoughts from you, Dennis? Yep. Uh, 
as I was going to say before, once again, the best thing you can do during this, whether you're somebody who's helping people uh, going through a divorce or experiencing yourself is, you know, please educate them on the importance of taking the emotion out of it, putting the logical side on it. And, and once again, use the T-charts, make the T-charts your friend and know what's important to you from an asset standpoint, not just now, but going forward in the future. Um, and that's where, you know, once again, we, we encourage you uh, to make sure if you need outside help, get the outside help uh, to make sure they make the best decision, uh, not just for you now, but also for you in the future. Perfect, thank you. Um, thank you, Dennis, for addressing a very sensitive topic for our listeners. And thank you for, to our listeners for joining us. Um, if you'd like to contact Dennis, um, if he wants to go to the next slide here, he will sh share um, his contact information. Um, so feel free to contact him. Um, oh, it looks like we do have one other question that popped up. Did you wanna address that, um, Dennis, before we wrap up? So this, yeah, so the question is, is uh, my parent passed away a while ago and split the money between my spouse and myself in the Roth IRA accounts. Not like you can count back, but if it comes up, is that an option? So that's unique in the sense that we don't typically see that happen. Um, you know, uh, as far as an inheritance, usually the inheritance comes in just, you know, your name as a child. Usually we see this discussion between children, not uh, that like co-own a business or co-own some real estate together um, and are going through like a, a business split. Um, this one is a unique one that we, I'd have to visit one off to understand why the, uh, the Roth IRA was split. Um, to determine as far as if it comes up, is that an option? Um, different states are going to view any inheritance a little bit differently. So it's really going to depend on the state as well as the situation that caused it. Um, but that, that is a good one that once again, I would seek advice on uh, potentially from a legal expert on that one. Perfect. Thank you. Well, thank you again, Dennis. Um, you are definitely very knowledgeable in this topic. And, you know, I hope our listeners um, take advantage of uh, uh, Rewatching this uh, recording when we send it out for helpful information as well as um, possibly reaching out to you. Um, your contact information is on the screen here. Um, for our listeners, let us know if this content um, is very helpful to you. And if you have any suggestions on other financial or investment topics that you'd like us to cover, um, please let us know in the short survey at the end of today's session. Um, we'll go out and find subject matter experts like Dennis who can speak on these topics that you're interested in because at Upside Avenue, we're committed to helping you live your upside. Um, watch your email for next month's webinar um, and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and now Instagram for the latest industry news and insights. Um, discover your upside with Upside Avenue. Um, through our public non-traded REIT, you can enjoy the benefits of real estate investing for as little as $2,000. And you can visit UpsideAvenue.com or send us an email or call us if you have any questions. Uh, thank you again, Th Dennis. Thank you again for joining us. Thank you, listeners. And stay safe. Sorry, stay, stay safe. And we will see you next time. Thank you all. I appreciate it. Thank you, everyone. Bye now.